Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We'll be reading uh, chapter 11 through 12, 1 through 8. And I'll be reading Spanish in case you were wondering. Echa tu pan sobre las aguas, porque después de muchos días lo hallarás. Reparte a siete y aún a ocho, porque no sabes el mal que vendrá sobre la tierra. Si las nubes fueren llenas de agua, sobre la tierra la derramarán. Y si el árbol cayere al sur o al norte, en el lugar que el árbol cayere, allí quedará. El que al viento observa no sembrará, y el que mira las nubes no cegará. Como tú no sabes cuál es el camino del viento, o cómo crecen los huesos en el vientre de la mujer encinta, así ignoras la obra de Dios, el cual hace todas las cosas. Por la mañana, siembra tu semilla, y a la tarde, no dejes reposar tu mano, porque no sabes cuál es el mejor, si esto o aquello, o si lo uno y lo otro es igualmente bueno. Suave ciertamente es la luz y agradable a los ojos ver el sol. Pero aunque un hombre viva muchos años y en todos ellos tenga gozo, acuérdese, sin embargo, que los días de las tinieblas serán muchos. Todo cuanto viene es vanidad. Alégrate, joven, en tu juventud, y tome placer tu corazón en los días de tu adolescencia, y anda en los caminos de tu corazón y en la vista de tus ojos. Pero sabe que sobre todas las cosas te juzgará Dios. Quita, pues, de tu corazón el enojo y aparta de tu carne el mal, porque la adolescencia y la juventud son vanidad. Acuérdate de tu Creador en los días de tu juventud, antes que vengan los días malos y lleguen los años de los cuales digas, no tengo en ellos contentamiento. Antes que se oscurezca el sol y la luz y la luna y las estrellas y vuelvan las nubes tras la lluvia, cuando temblarán los guardas de la casa y se encorvarán los hombres fuertes y cesarán las muelas porque han disminuido y se oscurecerán los que miran por las ventanas y las puertas de afuera se cerrarán por lo bajo del ruido de la muela cuando se levantara la voz del ave y todas las hijas del canto serán abatidas cuando también temerán de lo que es alto y habrá terrores en el camino y florecerá el almendro y la langosta será una carga y se perderá el apetito, porque el hombre va a su morada eterna, y los endechadores andarán alrededor por las calles. Antes que la cadena de plata se quiebre, y se rompa el cuenco de oro, y el cántaro se quiebre junto a la fuente, y la rueda sea rota sobre el pozo, y el polvo vuelva a la tierra como era, y el Espíritu vuelva a Dios que lo dio, vanidad de vanidades, dijo el predicador, this is the word of the Lord. Father God, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here once again as a family. Lord, we ask that you would speak very clearly to our hearts and our minds. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Lord, may we leave here different than when we came in for the glory of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. And if you're new, welcome. Uh, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I hope you guys had a good week. My week was interesting. It started off uh, Monday and Tuesday. I was in New York City for the day with 13 other pastors from one of our networks, um, fasting and praying. And so my my week started off very kind of contemplative and 
I'm focused, and then I got back, and everything just blew up, right? And so that's pretty normal. Um, it was busy. Um, we are going to be continuing through our series in Ecclesiastes, and guys, we're coming to the end. This is the second to last one, so if you've been like, okay, I'm ready to get out of this book because it's been so heavy, we're getting close. So next week will be the end. Um, this week, this is like the most classic case of Pastor Solomon that we're ever going to see. Like, he is... Everything that we have gone through in the book of Ecclesiastes where he takes these moments and they feel heavy and maybe dark and man, he's like always a bummer and then he swings the emotions to the other way and he's like, we're gonna die, celebrate, we're gonna die, celebrate, we're gonna die, love Jesus, right? And that's kind of what he's gonna do again here and I think that as we look at these last two weeks, what we're gonna find is these passages of scripture are going to kind of tie a neat little bow around what the good life looks for us. Um, I was thinking about my week and, and the, kind of the differences of going from like a couple days of like pure just prayer, fasting, contemplation to the crazy. It makes sense that um, the emotions that Solomon is constantly giving us are kind of up and down and all over the place because we experience that kind of not only on a weekly basis but on a daily basis. And so I'm going to take us through this passage a little bit upside down. We're going to start toward the end and work our way back toward the beginning. So if you haven't turned there, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 because that's where I'm going to start. And I'm going to start in verse 1. And what you're going to find here is this passage, verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, it is probably the most quoted of all of the passages in Ecclesiastes. I've seen so many movies where somebody's in like a depression or they're going through something hard and they'll actually quote this section of this book. Um, I saw a movie not too long ago about the painter Rembrandt and at the end he quoted this. There's, there's poets who have taken what was written here and you know, changed it kind of to their, their style. Um, and this is poetry. So if you like poetry and you like symbolism, um, the intent here is to talk about the inevitability, the inevitability, inevitability, inevitability yes, <laughs> of death, right? And, um, and help us see it and feel it and taste it, and smell it. And so that's kind of where we begin. So here we go, chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. We'll come back to that. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the song men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond trees blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. 
going to stop there because I want you to understand. I, I don't know if you like poetry. I like poetry. There's so much symbolism in here. I'll break it down a little bit for you for those of you who maybe don't read poetry very often. What Solomon is attempting to display here for us is this idea in a very poetic way that as we get older, things tend to deteriorate, right? Now, I talked about this last week, so I'm getting older, you're getting older. Every day we wake up, we're getting older, right? And the older you get, the more you start like, becoming aware of changes that are going on, right? I can't do what I used to do. My brain thinks that I can, I remember the moment when this happened. So I was a soccer player. I say I was a soccer player because I can't really classify myself as that anymore because if you saw me play, you'd be like, that guy never played before. So I was a soccer player, and I remember and we were in, the church was playing in a league out at La Presti. And this ball was played over my head, and I was playing striker position, and I started running, and I'm like, this is going, I'm putting this in the back of the net. Right? And all of a sudden, this kid just runs right past me. And I was flying. Like, I was like, oh my, I can't, I've never ran this fast in my life. And I'm pumping my arms, and I'm running, and I'm so close to the ball. And then this kid just runs right past me, takes the ball, turns, and off he goes. And I was like, I remember stopping and, and looking at the sideline. And I think Christy and some of our other teammates were there. And I was like, was I moving at all? <laughs> because I felt like, and I, I walked away going, I've never worked so hard and moved so slow in my life. Right? That's kind of what's being depicted here. There's some really cool symbolism. So we look at like in verse 3, the day when the keepers of the, the house tremble and the, song, and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. What are the grinders he's talking about? Your teeth, right? Like you're losing your teeth as you get older and you're, there's fewer that are in your mouth and it becomes hard to chew. And then he just kind of keeps going and it's almost humorous the way that he describes this. Because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim, meaning your eyesight's going away. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. You're hearing so bad, you can't even hear yourself chew anymore. Now, some of you might be there, okay? I don't know. I still hear myself chew. But some of you might be there. And there's this, this picture of what's happening to the human body here. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. <laughs> Old people get up early. Right? They can't hear anything, but it seems like right before the sun comes up, they're up. Right? My grandfather used to be that way. And all the daughters of the song are brought low. I used to have a good voice. I can't sing anymore. Right? This is all the used to coulds. They're afraid also of what is high. And there's terrors. I'm afraid to fall down. <laughs> right? Um, once again, like I'm not that old. I mean, I'm 48. I'm not that old, but I still don't want to fall anymore, right? I'm like, man, the last time I fell, I was like, I've fallen and I can't get up, that type of a thing, right? And there's, there's like this fear that sets in where your mind, when you used to take a whole bunch of risks, all of a sudden goes, where's the handrail, right? Like I used to run it up and down the stairs, and now when I look down the stairs, I'm like, where's the handrail? Because I don't want to fall because I'm going to get hurt. They're afraid also of what is high and the terrors in the way. The almond trees blossom. What color are almond trees when they blossom? White. So we have this picture of their hair getting gray, right? And the grasshopper drags itself along. Your body is getting weak, and you're just moving, like, slowly. I don't know, picture the guy with the walker, right, with the little tennis balls on it, just kind of moving forward. 
I don't know if they had that in Solomon's day, but it would have been cool. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. People are going, oh, it's only so long before this person's gone. Right? They're, they're at the end. Um, there's this sense of your, your body's deteriorating and this is inevitable. It's going to happen. And as poetic as Solomon may try to make this or as funny as he may try to make it or as serious however you view this depending on what your age is right if you're young you're going this is hilarious if you're old you're like that's not cool let's finish verse six before the silver cord is snapped I mean if you just picture I don't know you can picture kind of Greek mythology and maybe the fates I think of Hercules, right, in the, the movie Hercules, and the fates are like cutting the life string. This is all symbolic. Or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Okay, what's the purpose of the poem? purpose of the poem is to say, Life's short. There's an end. We don't know when it's going to be. If you're fortunate enough to live for many years, then you might get to experience all of these things that Solomon is talking about, where your hair turns white or falls out, right? Your teeth are falling out. You can't chew anymore. You can't hear. You can't see. What you used to be able to do, you no longer can do. Now, this is... This is the human plight. Um, All the great philosophers, this is the thing that they were constantly trying to figure out. Who am I and why do I exist and what happens when I go? And our experience is that everything at some point dies, right? Everything has a birth. Everything has a death. Not just people, everything. Churches birth. Churches die, right? Businesses birth. Businesses die. People birth, people die. Everything has an end. Nothing is permanent. Everything is constantly changing. Look at the, the laws of thermodynamics. We move toward entropy. You move just, things get worse as friction and gravity and all of these things come into play and things get older. And Solomon is just using all of this to remind us that your days are numbered. You're like, this is so uplifting right your days are numbered we don't know when that is it could be tomorrow it could be today Um, some of us have lost people much earlier than we would have anticipated Um, others have held on longer than we expected right but we've watched their quality of life go down this picture of dying and death, it's, it's sometimes when we look at it, it, be, it sounds morbid and it's hard to deal with, but the reality is it's real and it's coming. And the purpose of this is to go back to the beginning here in chap, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, where Solomon begins this poem by saying, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. So if we kind of 
set this aside for a moment because things are going to get a little happier here. We set this aside for a moment. We know the end is coming. We know our days are numbered. We wake up every single morning. We say, okay, I ha- I'm, a- I'm alive again. This is great. And then we do what we do to live our life. But we know that it could be our last. It's inevitable. It's on- there it is. We know that we're going to die someday. And he says, okay, before you get to this place where you're either old and dying and struggling and you can't really do what you used to do anymore in the days of your youth. He's not talking about like your adolescence. He's talking about the days when, the days before you started to get old and you started to feel it, right? The days when you could still function. The days when you had energy to do what you needed to do. In the days of your youth, I mean, I'm, I'm looking around here and I don't see anybody that this is describing, right? So everyone in here is being talked to. The fact that you made it here means you're not part of what he's describing here. So the days of your youth, he says, we, we have a job to do. We're to remember your creator. To remember your creator. What does that mean? I mean, Basically, what it's, what it's encouraging us to do is say, okay, you know it's coming to an end, but then what is my life supposed to look like? What is the meaning? What is the purpose? And Solomon brings us back to the, the beginning and says, I'm taking you back to your creator. I'm taking you back to the one that made you, that gives you purpose. If you truly want to know why you're here and what you're here to do, then you have to go to the one that created you. Mankind can guess, mankind can come up with all kinds of different ideas, but the reality is the only one that really knows is the Creator. When we study Scripture, we know that we were created to have fellowship with our Creator, to know Him, to honor Him, to worship Him, to glorify Him. When Solomon really focuses on this idea of we need to remember your creator. One of the things that um, in me being a kind of a more practical thinker is, okay, what does that look like in a very simplistic way? And now we're going to back up. Back up to chapter 11. And Solomon's going to give us two things that he's going to ask us to do that would allow us to remember our Creator in the process of knowing that the end is coming. While we're young, while we're still living, while we're still breathing, while we still have the ability to do something, he's going to say there's two things that you can do. The first one we're going to find in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and he's basically going to say, you can remember your Creator by working hard, so that you can be generous to others. I love this one. You're going, to be, you're going to remember your creator by working hard so that you can be generous to others. So let's, let's start walking through this. Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. He begins by saying, look, cast your bread out on the waters. This is poetic for saying, take risks. Like, 
Look at your current circumstance. Find a way to multiply. Find a way to take risks. Take your bread, take your money, whatever. Throw it out in the water and let's see it move. Why? So that we can have more come in so that we can be generous to those who are around us because we have no idea what disaster is going to happen on the earth. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. This is just common sense. This, this is like, okay, really? This is so you know, deep, right? If there's clouds and they look like they're going to rain, they're probably going to rain. And if a tree falls to the north, it lays north. And if a tree falls to the south, it lays south. Now from what, what Solomon's attempting to do is he's saying, look, I, I've just challenged you to take risks. I've, t- you've, I've, I've encouraged you to say you don't know what's going to happen. And now I'm giving you something really obvious for you to think about as we move into verse 4 when he says, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What does this mean in a poetic language? If you're going to sit around and watch the weather channel all day, you're not going to get anything done. Right? Do you guys look at the weather? So I don't love news, but I have the, this weather app, right, on my phone. I'm probably 50, right? And so every morning or every night, I'm like, is it going to, it's Boston. We know if you don't like the, you know, the weather, give it a minute, right? It's changing all the time. So I'm like, Okay, is it going to be sunny? Is it going to be cold? Like, how am I going to dress? What is this going to look like? And so every morning, at some point, even if it's very quickly, I'll take a look at what's the high, what's the low, what's the actual feels like, right? Um, if you just sat all day and said, you know what? Here's the deal. I will get the job done when the weather is perfect. We're not going to get much done in Boston, Right? If you're just sitting around and saying, when, when everything comes to like perfection and it's timing and it's place and it feels right, then I'm going to put the effort in, we're never going to get it done. He's encouraging us in this to say, not only am I asking you to take risks, not only asking you to work, not only am I asking you to, to think logically that if you just sit, like a tree and fall to the north and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting, no work will ever be accomplished. If you really want to get work done, what does it require? Work. I think that one of the things that's fascinating in today's culture is American tradition, even from its birth, seems to be We're going to do everything that we possibly can to make everything as easy as possible for as long as it possibly can be, right? And we find these crazy ways to be completely unproductive, right? And we'll even attempt to hide productivity, well, sorry, we'll attempt to hide our unproductiveness in what could be disguised as productivity. Um... I'm trying to think, like, maybe the best example I can think of is how much time do you spend on your phone looking at videos that make no sense whatsoever, right? Like, the number of people, and I do the same thing, the number of people that come up to me like, you've got to see this cat video, and I'm like, yeah, okay, show me the cat video. It might be funny, or the t- hey, we're going to jump on YouTube, and we're going to watch all of these little, like, 
snippets of funny things that are going on, and before you know it, how much time has passed? How much time do you spend playing a game on your phone and really nothing's getting done, right? How much time, I mean, it's a, it's a big thing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a gamer, but how much time is actually spent playing video games where there actually is no productivity? Watching shows, I mean, we even call it binging now, right? It's like, oh, I'm binge watching. What does that mean? That means that I sat, on the, I sat in a chair, ate a bunch of snacks for a really long time and watched an entire series that took them two years to put together, but I watched in eight hours in one sitting, right? And nothing gets done. And Solomon's saying, look, while you're young, while you have the ability to be productive, do it. Be productive. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Because you have been given a gift. You have been given personality. You have been given character traits. You have been given, if you're a believer, you've been given spiritual gifts. What you do for this planet matters. You weren't just created to be a couch potato. You weren't just created to find new ways to be lazy. Right? You were created to be productive. The reason I say I like this, I love to work. I love it. Right? There's, I, my dad used to tell me there's two types of people in the world. There's the types, of people who need, the types of people who need to be motivated to work, and then there's the types of people who have to be forced to rest. Right? So I never really needed to be motivated to work, but I'm really bad at resting, so I have to surround myself with people to go stop working. Right? But there's others that, and I don't know which one you fall into, it might be, come on, like get up and let's do something productive, right? You, you have gifts, you have abilities, you have talents, you, you, you mean something to this world, you mean something to the neighborhood that you live in, you mean something to the people that you fellowship with. We know that God is sovereign in all things. He chose so many things for you that you didn't have any say in whatsoever, right? You didn't pick when you were going to be born. You didn't pick who your parents were going to be. You didn't pick where you were going to be born. You didn't pick what culture you were going to come from. You didn't pick what race you were going to be a part of. That was all determined for you. The Lord determines so much of our life. And he says, I'm placing you in a very specific place at a very specific time around a specific people group. Why? Because that's where you have the ability to, be the, to make the most impact. So he's saying, don't just sit around and watch the weather channel. Christ followers, you know, when I say that sometimes we'll disguise um, unproductiveness with something that looks like productivity, right? I'm, I'm always, uh, here it's not as bad. So when I was pastoring in kind of the Bible Belt area, people would actually use prayer as an excuse to be lazy, right? They'd be like, hey, we have some needs and we need to, we need to serve over here or 
hey, we're, we've got some opportunities for you guys to you know, bless your community or whatever, or hey, there's, we need to get people out talking about Jesus to others or whatever the opportunity might be, and they would say, let me pray about that for a moment, right? And typically, I, got, I learned the vocabulary pretty quickly. As soon as somebody said, let me pray about that, what I actually meant was no, but they wanted it to sound spiritual, Right? Because half the things that, you're ask, that people were asking, well, let me pray about that because I don't know if the Lord really wants me to do that. The Lord had already commanded us to do that, right? Like you don't have to sit and pray about whether or not the Lord wants you to talk to others about Jesus. He's already told you infinite number of times that he wants you to do that. So it's almost insulting to say, well, Lord, I know, I mean, I got irritated when my kids would ask me the same question over and over and over, Right? Or they get irritated. I mean, anybody gets irritated when you're constantly asking the same question. Are you sure you want me to do that? Are you sure you want me to do that? Are you sure you want me to do that? Verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know what the work of God who makes everything. We have these unknowns. This is the second unknown that we're given in this passage where he says, the first one, we don't know what's going to happen, so like, take risks, throw your bread out there. Let's, since you don't know what's going to happen, like, prepare so that you can help others. And then he says, well, here's some things that are obvious, and then he moves into don't be lazy, and now he's saying, listen, there's things that seem to burden us that will spend time kind of pondering over and over and over and all they're really doing is keeping us from being productive once again. So he gives the example here of saying we really don't understand how a baby's formed in a mother's womb. Okay, so I have a biology, a human biology degree and I have studied embryology and I know how babies are formed and, and parents are like covering children's ears right now, right? We're not getting details. But what he's specifically saying is even though we understand how to make a baby, even though we understand that the baby grows in the mother's womb, can, you really explain, can science really explain how the personality of that child is composed in the womb? How two things come together and actually form a living, breathing entity with a soul? We could ponder that for the rest of our life, right? Like, I don't know what you ponder. I ponder a lot of things. Like, you start, like, man, you, you, can, you, can, you can find yourself lost in trying to figure out all of the things that we don't know about this universe and our Creator. Why did God do this? I don't know. Right? I do know this. God's God, and He's smarter than me. He doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't have to explain Himself. He doesn't have to clue me in. He doesn't take a committee. Hey guys, okay. He reveals Himself to us to the level that he's desired by giving us this and the person of Jesus, but it's not everything. I don't understand half the things in the universe, right? It's at any level whatsoever. So 
I think what Solomon's trying to get to here is you can continue to ponder those things and use them as doubts, or you can actually get something done and just say, I don't know. Because I'm not going to be able to answer every question, right? I mean, I spend a lot of time of my life studying doctrine and theology, and there's still questions that are theological that I can't really give you answers to. Describe the Trinity. Well, I can do the best that I can do for you, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Define eternity. Well, (laughs) I can give you some words, but it really doesn't make sense to me. Where did God come from? Well, (laughs) I mean, we we can stop. We can attempt to ponder these things. We can actually use the the fact that we can't answer those questions to be ineffective and not productive in our life. People have made a living out of this. Right? Or, we can humble ourselves to the point of our Creator and say, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the beauty of I don't know. The fact that we don't know everything and creator God knows everything, makes him worshipable. I mean, if you really knew the answer to every question, what would that make you? It would put you on par with God. Why do we worship God? Because he's so much bigger than us. I, I, I don't know that I could worship something that I fully understood at the same level. Right? It, it makes him worthy of worship. Why did he send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and then raise him three days later and that's how he's saving the world? I don't know. What a weird plan. But he knows, right? Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, and at the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Work. Be productive. I, what I love about this passage is if you look at, if we just look at kind of all of the commands that are in here, first, there's some really cool commands. Verse 1, cast your bread Give a portion. Sow your seed. Withhold not your hands. These are action words. Get the work done. Be productive. Produce something so that you have the ability to bless others while you are young. It's funny because when you think about what some of the things that Solomon has talked about, I mean, he's talked about the joy of intimacy in Ecclesiastes. He's talked about the joy of work. He's talked about the joy of money. He's talked about the joy of just pleasure and being enjoy, and the enjoyment of life. And here again, he's saying, you have the ability to actually be productive in a society that he created and puts you in. You have a purpose. He has a plan for you. And then as a Christ follower, actually have the motivation of that. Because do you know what Jesus did? He didn't sit around and watch the Weather Channel. He got to work. 
He said, I've come to fulfill that which the Father has given me. I'm here to fulfill His will. I'm here to do His plan. He, he works for what? The benefit of you, of me. He models it for us. He says, look, I'm coming and I'm going to be productive for the generosity of all. As a Christ follower, this is why we look at something like work and go, we get to participate. We get to function. We get to do something. We get to produce. We get to be venture capitalists for Jesus. That's how your life should be looked like. You have so much time and so much energy and ultimately your job is to produce for the glory of Jesus and the good of your fellow mankind. This is such a cool privilege, I think. Like This is where we go, oh. It'll change your perspective if you'll really let it sink in. Because I think oftentimes we go, is that really all that important? Is that having that conversation, is that really all that important? You know, me being productive at work, does that really matter? Yes, it does. This is why Christ followers should be the hardest workers in the room. Because we've been modeled it. This is why we work with joy because we know that what's being produced can be done for the good of those that are around us. This is why it's okay to say, wow, I'm going to be a good businessman or woman because I'm going to make money. Why? So that I can give it. I mean, Solomon earlier in, in the book is like, look, if you don't have money, then find a way to make it. Why? So you can give it away. Be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your talents. Be generous with your work efforts. Know that it produces benefit for other people just like Christ produced benefit for us. First, chapter 12, verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth while you are young, while you have breath. Work. Work. Motivation of Christ for the good of the world. Be productive. I think the enemy attacks this in every way possible. Next, he says, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. While you are young, remember your Creator by enjoying your life. Enjoy it. Verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. You know, the creation of the sun does a whole lot of things from a biological level. Right? It helps things grow, produces food, provides energy, so on and so forth. But there's also another component to the sun. It brings energy to us. It brings life to us. You, on a sunny day like today, typically you're thinking, oh, I want to go outside. Like when you think of like a gloom, like yesterday was gloomy, and I'm like, man, this makes me feel tired. 
And then this morning I woke up and the sun was shining. I'm like, yes, even though I lost an hour of sleep, right? Like there's, the sun is sweet. It, it's intended not to just be functional. It's intended to be beautiful and encouraging. It's intended for you to enjoy it. Go to the beach. Absorb the sun. Enjoy creation. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes in vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. From context, what he's saying is enjoy the freedoms that you've been given. Jesus came and he freed you from sin. He, He died for you. He rose for you. He promises new life. Enjoy the life that he's given you. Enjoy it. Quit being grumpy all the time. Quit constantly looking at all of the bad. Enjoy it. Enjoy your time with the Lord while He's given you breath. Enjoy the creation that He's put you in. Rejoice in the things that you enjoy. Celebrate the freedoms that you've been given in Him. I think sometimes we just take ourselves too seriously. And it's easy to do, right? I say I don't watch a lot of the news, and it's not, it's not because I'm not wanting to know what's going on. It's because every time I watch it, I leave going, ugh, this is depressing. Can we, I, I mean, every week I say, can we just accept the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world and we're sin-cursed beings? There's going to be a mess. We're never going to get to a point I mean, the whole reason that we constantly pray that Jesus would return is so that he can fix the mess that we've produced. It's not going to be fixed until he comes back. There's always going to be another mess. I find myself saying all the time, man, it's always something. And and I'm just like, well, yeah, of course it is. It's always something. There's always something. We live in an imperfect world. It's constantly falling apart. So we can spend all of our time complaining about what's wrong, or we can enjoy the life that Jesus has given us. I love it, this statement where he says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. He's not removing us from the responsibility that we have in our Creator. Remember, this is in our Creator. We're, we're being reminded of our Creator by celebrating our freedoms. But what is it that you like to do? What brings you happiness and joy and encouragement and do it. Like, smell the flowers. Eat the honey. Right? It says in doing that in the name of Jesus, we actually remember our Creator. Why? Because He created it. Be creative. Enjoy music. Solomon says that. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your intimacy. Enjoy the things that put a smile on your face. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy going on vacations and seeing the world. Enjoy your work. 
Psalm makes it very clear that the enjoyment of mankind found in his creation with him as the reminder is worshiping him. The best example I can give is this, and I have, I have amazing kids, okay? Um, but I can't, and they've never done this, but I, as a father, it would be awful if your kids were constantly saying, I can't believe how miserable you just make my life all the time. Like everything you've given me, it's just been awful. Like I have no, like you have no stand, you have no understanding of who I am. Like I, don't, I know you've done this, this, and this, but it's just not good enough. Don't we say the same thing to the Lord? What would it look like if Christ followers actually said, Lord, I'm going to enjoy you and what you've given me and the people that you've surrounded me with and the church you allow me to fellowship in and the work that you've blessed me with and the abilities that you've given me, the art that's around me, the opportunity that I have to grow in knowledge, what if I just enjoyed that? What would happen? What if in all of that enjoyment, it actually caused me to celebrate the things that Jesus wants us to celebrate? What if it's accurate that he says, I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly? He didn't say, I came to save you so that you can be a miserable grumpy pants. Or I came to save you so that you believe your spiritual gift is that of complaining. Right? Or finding the flaw in everything that exists. Whatever it is. All the things that we do. Like, what if we enjoyed it? Every once in a while, I'll look at Christy because obviously everybody knows you know, being a pastor is not easy. Being a pastor's wife is harder. <laughs> right? And I'll be like, are we still having fun? Like, you, you guys know we can have fun, right? That you were given the gift of life to enjoy your creator and his creation. The reason I said I love this passage so much is because it almost like, I really think if the church as a whole would let this sink in, we would look different. I mean, how, is it, how could it possibly be bad that motivated by what Jesus did, the, the world of Christ followers says, I'm going to be the hardest worker in the room, I'm going to be the most generous people out there, and I'm going to be extremely joyful. You're like, I mean, you know, we all look at Scripture sometimes, we're like, man, it feels like such a drag. This is what Solomon's point is. Look, you're going to die. You're going to die. You can die miserable. You can die unproductive. Or you can die actually accomplishing something, having accomplished something, enjoying what the Lord has given you. Looking at the blessings that are around you and saying, wow. Looking at life from through the eyes of our Creator. I don't know if you guys like zoos or not, right? I hate, people tell me all the time, I don't like zoos because animals are captive, right? Okay, I understand. 
but I get to see animals at zoos that I don't ever get to see. Okay? So politically, just set that aside for a moment. Go to a zoo and look at what God made. Like we were at a zoo not too long ago and there was a porcupine there. And I'm like, my, I know the guy that made that. Right? That is the weirdest looking animal and it has spikes on it and it's bizarre. But I know the guy that made that. What are those moments when we just go, wow? I don't know why it is that we as human beings, I know it because we're sin-cursed, but do you realize that part of being sin-cursed is we're constantly trying to find what's wrong? Not only with the world around us, but with each other? We said this last week, it's so much easier to believe something bad about somebody than good, right? Somebody comes and tells you a story about somebody that's not good, and you're like, give me the dirt. And you'll believe it. And somebody comes and says something good, and you're like, no way. That's impossible. We're just built that way. But as Christ followers, should that change as well? What if our enjoyment is also supposed to be redeemed? The gospel redeems everything. It redeems people. It redeems business. You know, we, we've built coffee houses, and one of the things that we've constantly said as a team is, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to show the world what redeemed business can look like? It's why we have so much fun doing it. It's work, but it's fun. I mean, who doesn't like to just hand people coffee all day long, right? Solomon says, you're gonna die. It's inevitable, so let it go. You're gonna die. Let it go. Do two things to remember your Savior. Do two things motivated by who you know in Christ that you can be productive, work, be generous, and enjoy it. Enjoy it. He ends this, and it's going to sound like a negative, but it's really not. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer in you the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Vexation isn't a, a word that we use much anymore. My daughter was watching this old, like, she likes period type shows, right? And they'll say, I feel so vexed. Right? And I'm like, yeah, we don't say that anymore. Right? I actually had to look up vexation. And, and it says it's annoyed, frustrated, or worried. Right? I mean, I wanted it to be something more than that. I thought it was going to be something bigger, but it's not. Remove vexation from your heart. Think about that for a second. You are commanded in the name of Jesus. You are commanded. You are commanded to remove vexation from your heart. You are commanded to remove annoyances, frustrations, and worries. And we all should say amen to that. You're, it's, a, it's, it's not a, hey, if you really want a healthy body and you, know, you want that emotional, mental health that you're really after, you should do these things. He's going, no, do them. It's a command. Remove vexation from your heart. We should never say, I'm so vexed, right? 
and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. We're reminded it's coming to an end. Enjoy it. All right, for those of you who are here today and maybe this is a new concept for you, um, and you don't, you've, never really, you've never really thought about who Jesus is and what he's done for you, this idea that, okay, he came and he lived the life that you were supposed to live and died the death that you deserve, and then three days later rose conquering sin, Satan, death forever and offers this gift to you, is new. That's new. Um, this is what I need to tell you. The only way that we have the ability to live this life in light of death is to know that we actually have life. And that only comes through Christ. So outside of knowing Jesus, everything that Solomon has written here is impossible. You have no motivation. You have no hope because there is nothing after except pain. The reason we as Christ followers get to celebrate is because this isn't the end. Right? So if what I have suggested, uh, this lifestyle of living this way, appeals to you, then your first step needs to be you need to know the one that allows you to live that life. Right? And so your response needs to be, I need to know more about Jesus. Well, you can do that. Just turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And they say, yes. Say, can we go get a cup of coffee at the well? And I have some questions. Right? For the church who know Christ, this is my question for you. Does your life reflect this? And I don't know. I don't have the answer, but are you productive for Jesus? Or are you just watching the weather? Are you generous with your time and your energies and your talents and the gifts that God's given you. He doesn't give you those things so you can just sit on your hands. He gives them to you so that you can help. Every single person in this room that knows Jesus has a responsibility to use what he's given you for his glory and the help of others. Are you, is, that, is that how you live? How's your attitude? Are you perceived by people as a person of joy? Or are you like the person that walks in a room and they're like, oh man, they're here. And then I would say, why? As Christ followers, we claim, because it's true, that we have the greatest hope that we can ever have. We have the remedy to the disease. You're walking around on time that has been purchased for you. You deserve something different and it wasn't given to you. He says, I've come to give you life abundantly, meaning you are supposed to be dead and by my grace, I'm giving you life that's abundant, filled with joy and the opportunity to be productive. Are you gonna do that or not? And that's our challenge. And the only way I know how to like self-assess these kinds of things is to ask others. 
You can ask somebody that you trust, but be okay with the answer if they're going to be honest. Say, am I productive? Well, not so much. Take a journal. How much time do you spend doing whatever? Is it really productive? Are you really honoring the Lord with what He's given you? Are you really generous? Generosity means we're going above and beyond obedience. Are you joyful? Are you enjoying what the Lord has surrounded you with? And if not, what needs to change? And you know how you change it? You apply the gospel to it. Because the areas where you're not productive, the areas where you're not joyful, are the areas the gospel is not being lived out in your life. Because it brings way too much joy and purpose to say that it's actually there. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. Lord, I, it's overwhelming when you truly process the fact that not only do you save us, but you actually give us purpose and desire us to be joyful. I don't understand that. But Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, I want to pray for anyone in this room right now that has never given their life to Jesus. I pray that you would move, that you would soften their heart, you would help them to see truth, that you'd remove a heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. Lord, that there would be nobody in this room that would not leave here not knowing who their creator is in Christ. Lord, we pray for your church. We pray that we'll repent in our lack of productivity for you, the fact that we get to, and the lack of the use of our spiritual gifts and the lack of using what you've given us as gifts. Lord, I ask that you would, you would give us the the joy and the continued reminder of the privilege that it is to get to work while we can. To get to use and spend what you've given us. And Lord, we pray for joy. Lord, there's so many things in this world that we could focus on. Answers that we don't know. Inevitability of death coming. Not knowing what the future holds. But Lord, right now, today, in this moment, your church knows Jesus. I pray, Lord, that that joy of knowing our Creator and being reconciled to Him and knowing that You are sovereign and in control of all things would fill us with joy that overwhelms all of the fears and the doubts. And Lord, may that be part of the thing that defines us as gospel people. So Lord, whatever you need to do in our hearts, I pray that you would change it. Encourage us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.